This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Last week, Facebook lost $230 billion in market capitalization amid a mass sell-off of its stock driven by, well, it was driven by a lot of different things depending who you asked. But it ties into a broader route of the tech market that's been happening over the past several months and has already hit homegrown Canadian giants like Shopify and wiped out tens of billions of dollars in its market valuation. I'm Gabe Friedman, and this week I spoke to Doug Porter, Chief Economist and Managing Director at BMO Financial Group, about what's at stake for the Canadian economy and what lies ahead for the tech sector. I asked Porter about the broader changes happening in the tech sector, but I think it's fair to say he sees one factor as more important than all others in this story, and that's rising interest rates. As always, the interview was edited for clarity and brevity. Hey, Doug, welcome to Down to Business. Well, thanks for having me, Gabe. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Recently, Facebook lost $230 billion in market capitalization, which is a mind-boggling number, and it well, it mirrored some of the larger trends that have been happening over the past several months in the tech sector, where we've seen massive declines in many companies' stocks. Can you maybe outline some of the macro trends that have been dragging down the entire tech sector? Certainly. I, th- I think the single biggest issue and the, the biggest change since the start of this year is markets are cottoning on to the fact that the Fed means business. Arguably, they're quote, behind the curve on on inflation. And in fact, I'm not even sure that's an argument anymore. And that the Fed will have to move fairly aggressively to hike interest rates. And, you know, the conventional wisdom is that they're going to raise rates by at least 25 basis points in March. The argument is that, you know, over whether they go by a quarter or a half a percentage point at, at this point. And frankly, you know, the sectors that are most vulnerable to a serious backup in interest rates are the sectors with the highest multiples you know, who have their profits or their expected profits many, many years down the road, and they have to be discounted at today's interest rates. So as those interest rates go up, those profits down the line become a little less valuable. And any company that dares to miss or sends out a, you know, less than stellar outlook will, you know, as we've seen, gets absolutely punished by by the market. I, I think it's important to point out that, you know, as as we speak, the Toronto market is is still actually clinging on to gains this year. So it really has been the you know high multiplier uh, multiple stocks the the high flyers the strong growth companies that that are really facing the strain and it it hasn't necessarily infected all markets and but to be clear do you mean the declines we've seen in broader markets have been largely in sort of growth and innovation or tech stocks yes and I, I don't think that that's necessarily reflective of a particular problem in the sector. I, I personally don't think the uh, the growth outlook in in the tech sector has really suffered a serious blow. Yes, you can think of some specific cases where clearly growth is is slowing, but I I, I keep coming back to the view that I, I think the issue here is well, first of all, arguably some of those some of those uh, stocks got a little bit overdone, and the sector overall may have benefited a little bit too much, uh, you know, from the pandemic play. But I think the bigger issue is that, you know, we are looking at a, at a higher interest rate environment, a higher inflation environment and a tougher Fed. And that's not good news for growth stocks. 
Yeah. I mean, I want to drill down on that a second, that these stocks may have gotten a little bit of an extra boost from the pandemic. But I guess we all know that when we got locked down, e-commerce really went through the roof. And that, of course, affected a lot of Canadian companies like Shopify. Still, I mean, the pandemic, we're not out of it yet. And some of these companies, I look at Shopify, for instance, its stock was trading above $2,000 per share in November. It's now just above 1000 So billions of dollars of market capitalization on some of these companies is just gone. I mean, the interest rates you're talking about, 25 basis points, those are very minimal now. Why is this such a volatile market? Well, I guess another way to think of it, you know, and that, that's just the opening amount of, of tightening that we're looking at. Uh, you know, it, 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 it appears that both the Bank of Canada and the Federal Reserve will raise rates by at least 100 basis points this year. You know, compared to past tightening cycles, that's not a big deal. But when you're starting at essentially zero on short-term interest rates and even long-term interest rates, you know, it wasn't that long ago that the 10-year yields were below 1% in both Canada and the U.S. And now, you know, it looks as if we're, we're heading towards 2% or higher. It doesn't sound like a big deal, but realistically, you know, some of those discount rates have doubled or about to double. And, you know, that, that can have a pretty profound effect in, in, in terms of, you know, when you sort of, what, well, what's, what's the present value of those earnings 50 years from now? Well, you know, one or two percentage point change in interest rates can really affect, you know, that, the, the value of distant, uh, distant earnings. Right. And the, you, you do think that the idea that we're coming out of the pandemic is also playing into that idea that these companies' values are going to go down? I, you know, in, in, in that situation, I think we have to almost do it on a company by company basis because of, you know, in, in some cases, what we'll see is an actual reversal. You know, you can think of a few that benefited directly from people being stuck at home, not to name names, but, you know, something like a Peloton or a Zoom, you know, where we could actually see a reversal, not, not just a slowing growth. Other, others are likely to see somewhat slower growth as, as opposed to the meteoric gains that we saw in, uh, you know, in the, in the past year. And there, I think of, say, some of the e-commerce sites. And then there are others that will probably go from, you know, 30% growth down to 20% growth for a while as, as things reopen. So I think, you know, we really do have to get into the nitty gritty of, 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 you know, company by company, sector by sector. Uh, and, and I'm not, I'm not here to say that they're all going to be losers. I think you can actually think of some, uh, some sectors of, of the tech area space that will still do very well in the next few years. But the one common feature is again is this this backup in uh, in in rates and and the rise the relentless rise we've seen in inflation that really does mean that the Fed has to be tougher than I think anybody thought was likely even as recently as three months ago. Really, I mean, when we talk about interest rates rising, though, I think most predictions are like that they'll go up to two or three percent or something like that over the next several years. Yes, that's and that's basically what we're calling for too. I think the one concern I would have and some in the market ha- markets have is that there there is a chance much as everybody has missed it on inflation in the last year that we're still missing it and that the Fed and the Bank of Canada have to do a lot more than just sort of the traditional second there 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 are a lot of economists out there that if you scratch them just a little bit they'll tell you that just getting rates back to neutral or where we were before the pandemic is not going to be enough this time you know m- most people who are in the financial markets now have not seen real inflation in their in their professional lifetime and it could still be a bit of a shock, you know, if inflation does not soon crest, you know, just how far the Fed and the bank can ultimately have to go to quell inflation. Yeah. Let's talk about inflation for a minute. Can you remind people where inflation is right now and, and why that would be a concern for the tech sector? So the most broadly quoted numbers are, are headline consumer prices in the U.S. They're now running at 7% in Canada and in Europe. 
they're running at right around 5%, a little bit less in, in Canada, I should say. Before the pandemic, for about the decade before, the average inflation rate in Canada and the U.S. was a little bit less than 2%. It was about 1% in Europe. We haven't seen, you know, 5%, 7% inflation rates since the early 1990s in Canada, since the early 1980s in the U.S. These are very high inflation rates. They were higher in the, in the 70s and, and early 1980s. They got into double digits in both, uh, both instances. Um, so we're not in those bad old days just yet. But, the, you know, the risk is that if oil prices don't let up, if wages really begin to move now, that we could be looking at, you know, even, even higher inflation uh, be, before it eventually crests. You know, there's nothing inherently necessarily bad about inflation specifically for, for tech. I think it's more the fact of what it means for interest rates is, is potentially particularly bad for tech. And, and it goes just back to the fact that these, these high growth companies have very high multiples. And, you know, basically higher rates do raise the valuation concerns about uh, the high, you know, high multiple uh, companies in, in, in particular. I've heard that this is not the standard textbook case of inflation insofar as at least initially everyone agreed that this was COVID related, that demand projections and supply projections just got out of whack because you had to shut down factories that were making things. And the fact that people were staying home meant that their buying habits changed. And so it just got out of whack. And then there were all these crazy supply chains with ships getting stuck and containers and ports getting congested. And it's just taking a while for it all to work itself out. But this is not the sort of standard case of inflation. First of all, I absolutely agree with almost everything you said. Uh, and, and our core view is that inflation is likely to moderate over the next 18 months. And, you know, we, we've definitely tended to be on one end of the spectrum warning people that this inflation is a little bit more real and, you know, could be longer lasting. But even we think that inflation in Canada and the U.S. will fade back towards the two and a half to three percent range uh, about a year from now and, and perhaps go a little bit lower two years from now. You know, I'm just more concerned that if we're going to be wrong, it's on, on the high side. The, th- the thing I worry about is, yeah, it, a lot a lot of what we're seeing right now is either due to reopening or supply-demand mismatch on the supply chain for goods and the run-up in oil prices. The thing I'm worried about is that this burst of inflation we've seen has been around long enough now that it's it's going to start really affecting expectations and people's behavior. In other words, it's going to get built into wage contracts. It's going to get built into pricing contracts. And it uh, could prove to be a little bit more lasting and stickier than than many believe. And, uh, you know, I, I totally agree that the initial causes were highly unusual. The risk is that the, the next round becomes a little bit more, you know, typical inflation of what we've seen in the past. And just to be clear, if this was unusual, how do we typically think about inflation starting? Normally, yeah, normally, you know, if we go all the way back to the 70s and 80s, and, and by the way, every episode's a little bit different. We basically had a situation where the economy was probably overstimulated in the in the late 60s and early 70s by heavy-duty government spending. A whole wave of uh, new social programs came out, a lot of spending on the Vietnam War, and, and it butted up against some uh, some supply pressures. Uh, unionization was much higher back in those days. And then we had an oil shock in, uh, in the early 70s uh, that really cut inflation loose, and policymakers were slow to respond. I, I am worried that there are some parallels. In, in this episode. And that's why I actually do think it's pretty important for central banks to start raising rates and to nip it in the bud so that this doesn't become lasting. I think a couple of reasons why I'm a bit more relaxed on inflation now than I would have been, you know, versus what happened in the 70s is globalization is, is still a force, I think, to hold down inflation. 
Another factor that's quite different from the 70s is demographics. I believe that demographic, the aging of society, actually works against a sustained run-up in inflation, whereas we had a rapidly growing young population in the 70s that I think actually tended to fuel inflation at, at that time. So I think that you know some of the bigger dynamics will help restrain inflation somewhat in this episode. Now we're going to pause a minute for a short break. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Pivoting back to the tech sector for a second, a lot of the tech companies that have seen declines, they're giant companies. They trade at these very high multiples, which mean investors think there's so much room for growth. But lately, more and more each year, you hear lawmakers in the US or in Canada or in Europe talking about antitrust concerns, talking about, are these companies too big? Should we break them up? Are investors in any way looking at some of these big tech companies and also having some doubt about whether these companies will be able to achieve the same scale that people were envisioning just a few years ago? Yeah, those those uh, excellent set of questions. And well, and and again, I think it it you, you really almost do have to study them on a on a single basis. I know you know people love to group them all into one fang grouping or fang m, um, but the reality is, you know, each one of those companies is very different and has a different reputation and you know a different set of circumstances surrounding it. And you know, it's interesting. We've we've heard talk for well, I would say over a year now about you know reining them in, breaking them up, possibly. Uh, maybe regulating them. And, and realistically, not much has happened. I, I, I could see a couple of them. I don't want to name names. I could see a couple of them being much more heavily regulated uh, in, in the years to come. I'm not sure it, it's going to make a huge difference in terms of their, their growth out, outlook. And, and I think from an economic standpoint, these, these are mammoth companies in terms of valuation. They're not that large in terms of employment. They, they, they just aren't. I mean, they're, they're, they're definitely an important part of the U.S. economy, much more so than Canada. But I think that, you know, if, if we start looking at to what extent Congress might rein them in or try to temper their growth, I don't think that'll necessarily have a big impact on the, uh, the growth outlook for the broader U.S. economy. I, I guess I tend to be still fairly optimistic on, on that front. Uh, I, you know, there's a lot of innovation in the U.S., you know, and, and I think almost regardless of what happens to some of these mega cap uh, tech companies. That's a great point. What about Canada, where foreign, both foreign tech companies and domestic tech companies have created a very lively sector? It seems to be growing quite fast, but some of the biggest companies are facing these reevaluations by investors. Yeah, and from an economic standpoint, we you know we always have to sort out the the difference between the the equity market valuation in in Canada and and you know the actual impact on the Canadian economy. And you know one one sector I always like to point to as a great example is the auto sector. You know, we we have of course no auto producers in in you know Canadian based auto producers in the, in the TSX, uh, none none of which are owned by Canadians, I should say. Uh, of course, we have some important auto parts companies, but it's a huge employer and it's critically important to the Canadian economy, and yet it barely makes a ripple in the in the Canadian equity market. 
Uh, to, to some extent, you could make the case that that's kind of the situation on the tech side. Now, of course, we do have a couple of very large names uh, in technology on, on the TSX, but they don't represent a, you know, a, the lion's share of, uh, of, of tech activity and employment in, in the country. And, and you're absolutely right. I, I, I actually think they're, you know, first of all, I think there's a lot of really good stories going on in Canada, but beneath the surface and maybe that don't always reach the, the headlines. A lot of smaller tech companies that, uh, that are gradually emerging and thriving. I also think there's quite a quite a good story in how some of these giant uh, U.S. companies are, you know, finding Canada to be very fertile ground. Uh, got a lot of great talent here, and you know, relatively cheap, frankly. And uh, it's it's a real source of, uh, you know, to be to be tapped. And and we are seeing some heavy duty investments by uh, by the mega companies that out of the U.S. and in Canada. So you know, what, whatever happens to some of our highest profile tech companies, and I'm and I'm relatively positive on them as well. I, you know, I think the the sector overall and its contribution to the Canadian economy, there, there's lots of room for growth. And I think it will do well in the, the decade to come. Interesting. And so looking forward, interest rates are obviously rising. What do you think you see ahead as interest rates presumably continue to go up? Do you think that we're just going to see these multiples continue to get beat down further? Or do you think the market may have even overcorrected already? I I doubt it has overcorrected. I think the market is is still, you know, coming to terms with uh, just how serious the Fed is about to get. So I would I would look back, and and I, and I don't mean to you know be alarmist at all, but I would I would definitely look back to what happened in you know the late '90s, early 2000s for some lessons, and they're not all bad for the sector, by the way. I would point out that the the, the downdraft can can last longer than most expect, just as the upswing went went on a lot longer than than I think most had anticipated. When the screw turns, it uh, it, can, it can go on a long time. But a key difference with what happened in the late '90s and early 2000s, a lot of these companies are are much more mature. Uh, they make real money, a lot of money. Uh, so I don't I don't think they were nearly as wildly overdone this time, and so don't face nearly the same kind of correction that we had back in uh, in the early 2000s. But it's it's more the duration I'm I'm concerned about that you know the the, the rocky ride can go on for a, a little while as uh, yet as as the market comes to terms with just how much the the Fed has to do and and no one knows you know how, how much the Fed will really have to do it it depends so heavily on if and when inflation breaks there certainly is a potentially good story here if indeed inflation does start to simmer down over the uh, the spring and summer that the Fed won't have to do you know, much more than, than what we're expecting. And, uh, you know, then I think it'll, you know, people will be able to focus again on the fundamentals of, of the sector that does have very good long run uh, growth potential. I guess the final word I would say is if you're a very long term investor, then of course, a lot of this is just noise. I'm sure there's lots of people out there who, you know, will buy a big company and just hold on to it for decades. And, you know, and, and most of this is, is, is just noise. And you know, I do I do happen to believe that a lot of these companies will thrive over over the longer term, and and you know this this is really just a ripple in the in the longer term picture. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you hark back to the dot com boom of the two thousands because my own personal feeling th- this may come a little out of blue, but is that tech has gotten a little more boring. You know, there at the dot com boom, it, there was all this wonder about the internet, and we've realized some of its uses. Right, we have internet in our pocket now in our smartphones, but we've also grown a lot more suspicious, I think. And I think of like metaverse being an example of this where, you know, Mark Zuckerberg announced this metaverse and a lot of people, I think also were, were curious about it and it did inspire awe, but a lot of people were also wondering, do we need that? They were thinking about things like data collection. They were thinking about some of these antitrust concerns about how big these companies have grown. 
And I wonder if just tech is entering a new phase where some of the higher multiples that these companies received in the past may not come back just because there's more skepticism broadly over a whole range of different issues. Well, that's that's a fascinating perspective. And, uh, you know, all kinds of elements uh, there, there. You know, there's so many elements there to uh, to bite into. But it, I think you make, you make a very good point. And, and it goes back to what we were talking about before on, on regulation or potential regulation. And, that, you know, that may be the one of the key differences from two decades ago is, you know, it's not all seen as uh, as positive uh, by any means. But you know, on on your issue of uh, you know how investors are are looking at these, I, I I guess one thing I would say is I'm not sure I would call the sector boring. I think it's it's increasingly more opaque to a typical user or investor. It, it it's definitely harder to really understand what all of the all these businesses do these these days and exactly how they make their money. And you know, I I often think back of the words of Warren Buffett: <laughs> you know, only invest in what you know and understand. <laughs> yeah. It, it seems opaque. It seems harder to understand. And maybe that is sort of a better way to put part of what I was saying. There are companies out there, tech companies in Silicon Valley, there are database companies that are mature, that have achieved scale, that have high margins, that don't trade at the same multiples as some of the newer companies that have not achieved scale. And I guess just in general, I'm wondering if you think the multiples are going to come down regardless of what happens with inflation, regardless of what happens with interest rates? I, I think it's inevitable that as, as a company matures, its, it's multiples should come down. You know, I, I guess I think of, uh, you know, the, a company that was the leading tech company or arguably the only tech company when I was a kid, uh, IBM. You know, it's, it's still around, it's still making money, but, you know, take a look at its multiple, for instance. But that's, you know, that's not to say that companies that even even as their multiple comes down, they, they can't still be wildly successful. You know, I, I, I think of an Apple or a Microsoft that uh, had incredible second lives, if not third lives in some cases. And, you know, now now reign as the, the two most valuable companies in the world. It was a fairly long time ago. They were battling it out back in the 1980s in a completely different landscape, you know, fighting it out in the PC market. And, you know, here we are decades later, and they're, they're still number one, too. So... You know, it, it, a, a lot depends on the management of these companies, you know, how well they're run, how well they can, can adapt to, to different environments. You know, that, that's why I guess it's, it's prudent to, uh, to really spread your eggs around uh, in a number of different baskets because, you know, who, who can really know which, uh, which companies will, uh, will continue to thrive and, and, and sustain themselves in the years to come. Hey, Doug, I really appreciate you coming on Down to Business to talk to me about this issue. Thanks so much. No, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. That was Douglas Porter, Chief Economist at BMO. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Bryce Hall for composing and performing the original music on this show and for producing Down to Business, to Pamela Heaven for web support, and to the crack editing team at the Financial Post. I'm Gabe Friedman, and I'll be back next week. But until then, you can find all your business news at financialpost.com.